Welcome to the Hillside Community Church Podcast. Wherever you're at in your faith, we hope this episode encourages you. If you enjoy the listen, let your friends know, and we'll catch you next time. All right, so we're going to shift gears a little bit to uh, our series. Now, I told you yes, or last week that it uh, feels like yesterday to me. Every Sunday is yesterday because uh, it comes so fast. Um, that, you know, we ended with, with our talk about, about our hearts in Matthew six twenty one. Jesus said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. I want us to explore that, but I, I don't have enough time today. I only have a few minutes today. And so, um, so I want to address something that came up after last week. So I'll, I'm going to do that this morning. Uh, so we've been talking about the heart, namely how truth is to, is to enter it. Because many of us, especially in our culture, and maybe if we just speak specifically to this one, um, we can have a, a kind of a heady Christianity. Um, you ever said to anyone, uh, it, it's all in his head? And when you say that, it means, you know, he's got a world up here in his head, but it never really makes its way into reality. So we tell, we tell a person like that, even though it's in his head, he's not living in reality. And that can happen to a lot of people. I had a man come up to me in the first service say, after you said what you said last week, I went home and realized I've never really given my life to Christ. And he gave his life to Christ. He's been here for years. Um, and so what's up here is inadequate. This is, what, this, this is what you need to hear. What's up here is inadequate for transformation. It's a part of what's needed. You gotta know things. But it's inadequate to change your life. And you've probably figured that out by now. Uh, so at the end of the day, we said that your heart is, is the thing that really drives you. You end up every day doing the things you love that fulfill cravings and desires that maybe you're not even aware of. And so your heart is what has to be changed. And, and what God wants to do is change the desires of your heart. Change your cravings. That's how you get transformed. So you know something and then it changes your desires and then it changes you. So um, a number of you asked the question, how? How, if I've had this sort of heady kind of Christianity, can I, can, I, can I create paths to my heart with what I know? Which is a great question. And so let me give you the single best answer you, you're probably going to come across. All right? Um, you have got to spend time in the book of Psalms. You gotta spend time in the Psalms. Now I'm gonna make that case for you this morning. Um, All of my favorite authors direct me to the Psalms. Which means that no matter what kind of quiet times you have, there needs to be seasons every 12 months, there needs to be seasons where you spend deep time in the Psalms And then sprinkle them throughout while you're doing other things. But you got to have them in your life. So I want to make a case for that this morning. Uh, 
Of course, it's the ancient prayer book contained right in your Bible. Uh, And it's written in poetry to speak to the heart and not just the brain. And so uh, Jesus used it. Jesus quoted the Psalms. The early church used it. It's our inspired prayer book right in the Bible that we know and carry. So, a few weeks ago, I told you that, um, you know, you've got to open this book and you've got to look at it and read it because there's nothing that beats that. Uh, and I, was, I gave the illustration that you could, go, you could go visit Lake Ontario if you want to because that's where the Niagara Falls runs off into. Or you can go right to Niagara Falls to the source and see the power of that water coming over the edge. Going directly to the Niagara Falls is like opening this book yourself. It goes right to the source. Um, After I shared that, I I sort of mentioned, you know, do you want anyone describing what it's like? Like me, I was describing what it's like. I would imagine what it would be like to be at Niagara Falls. The power, the beauty, the feel, this sort of sensory overload that would happen if you were there. But you don't want somebody who's never been there to explain it. Because that's me explaining it. I've never been there. So after the service, I was leaving and some, one of my buddies walked up to me and he said, hey, this was us last summer. And he showed me a video of actually being there. And I want you to see it, okay? Watch, there's like two of them together. This is, so the first one's a view of what it looks like to see the boat down there. That sort of comes around that place. And then this is a view from the boat itself when you're on it. Isn't that incredible? How many of you have never been there? Let me see your hands. Yeah, absolutely. This is as close as you're ever going to get. Right here. This is it. Okay, so you feel it. He said, man, when you're sitting there, you feel the, the, the power of it coming at you. You feel the water on you. Uh, um, you hear it. Just powerful. That's the... That's, kind of what we're talking about here. And let me just say this. Being in the Psalms is like being in the boat. Psalms drives you right up to it. You get to feel it and sense it and see it and hear it. And you've got to have that experience. You've got to have it. Um, so, um, why? Here's why. The Psalms, I hear this and just sort of lock it into your head. The Psalms provide a language for what it means to be intimate with God, to experience him, to know him. You need a language for it. Um, Augustine said this, in the Psalms you learn the language of devotion. We need to know the language of devotion. If you can't imagine it and put it in words, it's probably never going to happen in your life. That's true of just about anything. And so the Psalms teach you how to think spiritually. What surrender really looks like. How to pray. All the different things you can say to God. Confessing, emoting, processing. How do you do that? How do you process your life before God? Uh, 
what it means to worship him, what he's like. The role praise plays in your life and how it transforms a person. You know, praise transforms you. So Eugene Peterson um, said this, and this is, this is a book called Working the Angles, and it's, it's, it's fantastic, but he says this. We need a vocabulary and a syntax that's sufficiently personal and adequately wide-ranging to answer everything that God says from wherever we happen to hear it within every developing stage of our pilgrimage across the entire spectrum of our lives. Every stage of your life, the Psalms teach you how to live in. And so he says this, I need a language that's large enough to maintain continuities that's supple enough to express nuances across a lifetime from, the, from a child to adult experiences. That's courageous enough to explore, this is a great line, all the countries of sin and salvation. Mercy and grace, creation and covenant, anxiety and trust, unbelief and faith that comprise the continental human condition. And the Psalms are large enough to encompass all of us. St. Ambrose used a different metaphor for the Psalms. He said it's a sort of gymnasium for the use of all souls. You go to the gym for your body, you go to the Psalms for your soul. Isn't that a great picture? Uh, so he says it's a sort of stadium of virtue where different sorts of exercise are set out before you from which you can choose that are best suited to train you to be who you want to be. Who you want to be. I love the image. I remember when, uh, this is almost four years ago, when I first went to CrossFit. Sorry I'm using that as an illustration. It's just in my life. I have no choice. Um, people get tired of hearing that. I'm sorry. They either don't like my CrossFit discussions or they don't like physics. And, I, and I, those, are my, those are two things I love. I don't know what to tell you. But anyway, when you go in there the first time and you're scared to death, you got to learn a new language. They were saying things I'd never heard of. They were exercises I'd never heard of. I didn't know what a hang squat snatch was. I'm like, what are you talking about? Are we talking about fixing planes or are we talking about... All right, and I didn't know uh, what all the, all the abbreviations that they use for the workouts. You got to know all the abbreviations. The first one was WOD. What does WOD mean? And then what was this thing, this emotum? What does that mean? Because it's a kind of workout. What about an AMRAP? I had never heard of that before. What about an IRFT? You're like, I have no idea what that is. You had to learn the language, and then you had to learn the movements. And then you could speak the language, learn the movements, and pretty soon you could start putting into practice these things. But you had to learn the language. It's a different language. And so let me give you some of the things um, that the Psalms give you a language for. That right now you can't picture because you don't have a language for it. And so here they are. The first one. And I'm going to go through these pretty quick. The first one is, it's a full-blown visual picture of what it's like to relate to God. A picture in your head. Uh, like Psalm 131 
like one of my favorite images. He'll say this. He says, surely, he says, like a weaned child rests against his mother, my soul is like a weaned child within me. A weaned child has gotten to a point where it's sitting in its mother's arms, relaxed, content, and resting without being demanding because it's over all of the sort of the the, the nagging little self-centered desires. All the things it didn't think it could live without, it has figured out how to just rest in his mother's arms without being needy and a taker. Now don't you want to be, doesn't that give you a great picture of what it means to be close to God, a weaned child? God, I wish I could go through a day and then a week where I'm not so desperately needy, but I've learned to just rest in you. That's a picture. How about Psalm 1 where he talks about being like a tree planted by the rivers of waters that brings forth its fruits in its season. Its leaf doesn't wither. And and, and anything that comes its way, it can handle. Wouldn't you like to know that your life from top to bottom, from the root to the fruit, is fully healthy, can withstand the things That's a great image to carry around in your head. Psalms 1 tells you how to have it. You can't have it any other way. He meditates on your word day and night. He doesn't, all of those things, he meditates on your word day and night. In other words, he is dragging the truth of, of your word with him everywhere he goes in the course of a day. He doesn't just wait till the end of the day or the beginning of the day. He is dragging that truth with him all day. It's the only way to be a tree like that. It's the only way. So what it does is it arouses in me a vision and a desire. That's what I want. So ask yourself, is that something you'd want? To be like a weaned child or a, a powerful tree? Because that's the images. Then it'll tell you how to seek him. And here's something you'll learn in the Psalms, and I guarantee every one of us chafe at this. But if you're trying to seek him any other way, the Psalms will wake you up to this reality. You want to get to know him? You want to know him at the heart level? Then you got to do three things, which the Psalms constantly tell you to do. Wait, be in silence, and be still. Who likes those? No one. You know what Eugene Peterson said? And I thought it was really great. He says, no one has an aptitude for that. Nobody. It's hard work. He said, I'd love to have a relationship with God like that. What are you just going to walk around and just say, you know, how we say sometimes, well, I'll see you down the road. I'll I'll run into him somewhere. (laughs) I'm sure we'll, we'll run into each other somewhere. Ever say that to somebody on your way out of something? You're like, yeah, well, I'll see you down the road somewhere. You say that to God. And we just think we can just go on and on and on and one day we'll just bump into God. Psalms never give you that option. You will seek him out. You will wait for him. You'll be frustrated. All that waiting means, staying at it, being still and being silent. If you really want God, you're gonna have to learn to quiet your soul. What does the Psalm say? Psalm 40 says, I waited patiently for the Lord. Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God. You gotta be still. How about Psalm 62? My soul waits in silence for God only. 
Those are the kind of things. You can't get that quick. In other words, the kind of relationship we're describing, you can't get it fast, you can't get it on the go. It just doesn't work that way. And I guarantee most of us are trying to figure out how to have a great relationship with God without having to do any of the three of those things. It's not gonna work. Then the next thing, um, how to declare my allegiance to God. How do I say to him who I wanna be and what I wanna be? Like for instance, Psalm 86, 12, we looked at it last week, where David says, unite my heart. Have you ever prayed that? Did you know you ever should pray that? I didn't know till David did it. In other words, rally the whole thing, draw it together, pull it together to serve you. Never prayed that till David did. Uh, He says, I shall seek your face. David tells God, I'm gonna seek your face. It's like ahead of time kind of a thing. Yeah, here I come. Better be ready. When have you done that? Psalms teaches us to do it. How about in Psalm 23? How many times have you read it? But when have you ever said it to God? I will fear no evil. What happens, do you think, to a person when they start declaring these kinds of things to God? You learn the language. You learn the visual. You learn what it means to actually relate to God. And how to say it to him. Declare your allegiance to him. God, this is what my week is going to look like. This is who I'm going to be. That's how you get it to your heart. And then another one is, is longing and desire. David is it's so incredible because David is, is so good at describing the desire that he has for God, which will be so convicting to you because you'll say, I don't really desire him like that. And you know what you do when you don't desire him the way David does? Like when David says, I, I like a, like as, the, as the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul pants after you, oh God. And you go, I don't think I want him that bad. Like I'm not dying of thirst for God. And that's one of the things you learn from David to figure out, God, you know what I'm praying for? I don't want that yet, but I'm praying that I can have it. I'd like to just pray this morning that I would want you that much. And it would be a great question to sort of sub-ask, what do I want that much and is it really worth wanting? That's what David will make you do. That's what the Psalms will make you do. My favorite one is that it'll enlarge your view of God. You've got to have a greater imagination of the kind of God that you serve. I mean, the reason why our praise gets dull and our worship gets dull is, is partly because we don't have a big enough image of who is said. And listen, none of us have a, a wonderful enough imagination to picture God in all his real wonder and glory. And the Psalms help you do that. Now, they'll put God out for you to consider And not just desire or even fear, but to delight in. I don't even know if I've ever delighted in God for that the way David did David. I didn't even even think of God that way. In fact, that's another thing it will do. It'll push against all your theological little uh, categories that you have of God. 
The Psalms will push against all of the neat little God that we've made in this box. And you'll realize he's not just some stuffy old man up there that's just content to let you just wander off and do whatever you want to do. That's not who he is. Psalm 103, for instance, is just great. It'll tell you God is slow to anger. And if you read verses 7 to 14, you'll see really just how compassionate God can be in light of our sin. But then there's a great line in there that says, but he won't always strive with you. There'll come a point where he'll be done. And then that gives you part of the, ooh. Then you realize all of a sudden, God's my biggest problem. But he's also my solution. All in the same moment. And you learn that. You go, my goodness, I better deal with him. And I'm not dealing with him, but I better deal with him. You've heard this phrase, hate the sin, love the sinner. Not in the Psalms. The wicked get blown away in the Psalms. Okay, we've got this neat little picture of God. Oh, let me tell you, it's really hard to separate the sin from the sinner. Not as easy as it sounds. And who do you punish? Psalm 91, God's like a bird and you can hide under his wings and it's an incredible picture of safety and security. But in Psalm 39, he's a moth that'll eat anything you consider valuable above him. Sometimes in the Psalms, you'll hear David say, Lord, thank you for hearing me. Thank you for noticing me. And then there'll be other times when David will say, where are you and why aren't you listening? And you learn in the Psalms that David will cry out and say, stop with the silent treatment. It's like God's a cat and he hides. And you're like days where you can't find him or feel him. You ever have those? David tells you how to deal with them. You read Psalm 88 and you, wanna, you just want to be done with life. It's the worst psalm. It's the loneliest psalm. By the time you're done, because there's no hope at the end of it, you just end up lonely and in darkness. And you're like, where's God in that? Sometimes God hides. I don't know why. But he does. And if you're in that moment where you don't sense him, you better know what to do. Somebody to walk you through that. Psalm 50, I love it. God is sarcastic. Listen, if you're only heady and it's not heart, read Psalm 50. God gets really sarcastic. He goes, you know, you guys bring me sacrifices like I'm hungry up here. He says, even if I was hungry, I wouldn't go to you for food. It's a great line. You're like, go God. He can be sarcastic. And why was he saying that? Because you guys bring me stuff like I just want stuff from you. I don't want stuff from you. I want you to live righteously. I want your heart to be mine. Don't just give me stuff and placate me. Mm -mm. Can't treat me like that. 
Then in Psalm 30, you know, on one minute in Psalm 88, it's lonely and dark. And then in Psalm 30, he turns mourning into dancing. Ever had that happen? You ever be at a really low place and God somehow is able to help you rejoice in the worst moment? You'll learn what he cares about. You want to know something he really cares about? In the Psalms. Anyone needy. Anyone needy. If your heart doesn't beat fast for the needy, it'll be revealed really fast in the Psalms. God just can't talk about the needy enough. How to deal with evil and evildoers. How to interpret reality. What do I do about sin and wickedness and uh, pain and evil? And what's going to happen to evil and evildoers? It's all in there. Nothing works in creation without God. Nothing. I mean, an animal doesn't eat, wind doesn't blow, sun doesn't shine, nothing grows, nothing without God absolutely, specifically making it happen. Nothing in creation. And the psalmist will tell you it's all his. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. You need to be reminded of that. Because sometimes you think it's all up to you to make life work. And that all you have is yours. And that God can't do anything great. You know, one of the Psalms asked this question. Can the Lord make a table for me? Spread, make a table spread in the presence of my enemies? Can he do that? It's in 70 some. It's not Psalm 23. It's different. And it's a great question. And, and then the psalmist comes back and you almost hear God say, yeah, well, I made water come from a rock. And yeah, I did bring bread out of heaven. Can I do it? Yes, I can do it. You needy, he can do it. You got circumstances that are overwhelming to you, he can do it. You don't learn that unless you're in the Psalms. On that boat ride. So what the Psalms give you, in short how to see and live with the fact that he's God and you're not and you got to deal with him as he is and as he's presented and you'll have to fight for it because it isn't easy it is hard work to center your heart on God so I'll end with this David invites God In Psalm 139, search me, O God, and try my heart. Know my heart. Try me. See if there's any wicked way in me, and then lead my heart to the way that's everlasting and not that way. If you avoid the Psalms, you avoid asking God for that invite. You, you avoid giving him that invitation. And until you let him in there and let him just have it, even now as you're sitting there, what ought to surface in your mind is, oh my goodness, those things, I don't have a language for them. And there's things in my heart that are crowding out God.
So, that's just a little interlude on the how question. I want you to bow your heads. Father, we close this morning. Uh, we would all ask this morning for that longing and that craving to know you, to, to, to interact with you, to be able to be open and honest with you, to confess our sin, just lay our sin out in front of you, to receive forgiveness, to know what it's like to declare to you much we love you and the kind of people that we want to be in light of who you are. Truth is, Lord, we, we can't even begin to think how big you are. And so our lives reflect, really, a small, almost helpless God. And we don't want that. Draw us to yourself Draw us to yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for watching today's message. We hope it encourages you wherever you're at in your faith. If you enjoyed it, let your friends know. We'll catch you next time.